Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Well, good morning, Harvest Ridge. Good morning to those of you joining us online. Um, We're going to talk about the theology of party, the theology of party. And to do that, we're going to, first of all, go back to the Old Testament, and we'll talk about why in a second. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to take this opportunity, open it up to Daniel 5. I would prefer you pull open some copy of the Scripture, because what we're going to be doing the next couple of minutes is walking through the Scriptures, and uh, I'm going to read basically the entire chapter of Daniel 5. And I think it would be good because there's a couple of things in there you probably ought to highlight in your version of the scriptures. It's always good to carry a copy with you on your phone somewhere. Have one with you. All right. So I've been beekeeping my entire life, been keeping bees my entire life. Recently, my wife came to me and she told me, no, we're done. It's either me or the bees. Those insects are going to go or I'm going to go. We're done. And, you know, I said, you know, that sounds like a very unfair fair, serious gauntlet for her to lay down. And I couldn't believe she was doing it. And I was really questioning, did she just say that? And then I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. Oh, come on. I went a long way to set that one up. You got to appreciate that. Um, Yeah. If you don't know, I just made reference to a Beatles song, those of you that were not born in this century or last century. All right, y'all ready? All right, so this sermon series is about party, about how Jesus changes the party when he arrives. I've said for years we need to have a theology of party, and I finally get a chance to preach it, and it's the one year we don't do Harvest Palooza. So, all right, well, we're going to do it today. We're going to start, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at parties that Jesus walked into, and, or maybe Jesus instigated, and we're going to look at a, a theology of what it means to live in the party and the joy that Jesus has for us. Now, our culture is really, really a party culture. We think that it's all about having fun all the time. As a matter of fact, we, uh, our culture places a huge amount of emphasis on fun, on entertainment and amusement, and it is a key value of our lives. I mean, just think about this. Does anybody in the room pay every month to get entertainment streamed to your house? Anybody in any way? It'd be Netflix or anything like that. You, uh, God TV, I don't care. It's entertainment, right? So we pay money to be entertained every month. We, uh, we, uh, you know, have anybody ever play a video game? Think about that video all day, <laughs> um, video games. So what you're doing is you're entertaining or amusing yourself. By the way, we have these things called amusement parks. I've always struggled with that name because muse means to think. And that means you're going someplace where you don't think amusement. Ah, means negative. No, no thought. Um, we do sports. Oh my goodness. Think about the money and time and energy spent just to forget reality to go sports. I mean, they even have sports talk channels 
on TV and the radio, right? Are y'all following me? We're all into what we do for fun and entertainment. We're so into it that we sometimes don't think about it. We're so consumed with it. We're like a fish. What, what does water look like to a fish? You ever ask that question? What does water look like to a fish? What does air look like to you? I wonder if air looks different to a fish than water does. I wonder in our culture, we're so used to this entertainment amusement world, what it would look like to actually step back and take a look at the cultural values we have, but we don't like to recognize. And that's what I want to talk to you about these next couple of weeks is what does it look like to live in an entertainment party world and an amusement world? And what does it look like to live in a world where that is a key value and how can we live in this world following Christ and what would happen if we let Christ invade our parties? Everybody follow me on that? All right, good. So our first party is not what you would think. When Jesus stepped into parties, they always changed. But our first party is not what you think. We're going to actually go back to the Old Testament. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if you don't like history, you're at the wrong place today because I'm going to give you a lot of history and I'm going to give you a lot of theology and background information. It's who I am. It's what comes out of me. So sit back, enjoy it, put your seatbelt on. But we're going to talk about a pre-incarnate visitation of Christ. Now, what those are called in the Bible are theophanies. And theophany is when Jesus showed up before he was incarnate, before he became, you know, eight pound, two ounce baby Jesus in the gilded row. Anyway, sorry. Um, one of the greatest movies ever, but that's all right. Eight pound, two ounce baby Jesus was when Jesus became incarnate. All right. Before that, when Jesus showed up, he was called the angel of the Lord or a theophany or a a pre-incarnate, before Jesus became human, he appeared in somewhat human form on the earth. I say somewhat because you ever wonder why people would see the angel of the Lord fall on their face and go, oh, don't kill me. It's because there was something of his glory still with him in the showing up of his presence. Like when he talked to Abraham, when he talked to Moses, when he talked to Gideon, you know, we could go on and on and on about these stories in the Old Testament. Melchizedek, the high priest, all of these stories are there and they were Jesus showing up before he became a man, God showing up in some fashion. It's called the angel of the Lord. Well, today is going to be a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Now, in Daniel chapter 5, Jesus shows up just as a hand. The previous chapter, he showed up in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. And he's there in the fire. And then Jesus shows up with him in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar looks and says, oh, there's somebody else there. That was Jesus showing up. Well, in chapter five, the whole Jesus doesn't show up, just a hand. And he visits a party and his hand is just enough to mess everybody up. Our story today occurs in a place called Babylon. 70 years before, Jerusalem had fallen. In 539 BC, Jerusalem had been conquered and overrun and completely decimated by the king of Babylon, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king. He came in, he destroyed the temple. He took all, the, all of the articles of value out of the temple, all the articles of worship out, the cups they drank with, the plates they ate from, the lampstands that they had in there, the, the gold plates and censers and things like that were all taken and they were taken off to Babylon. Now this story uh, reminds us of this, this victory and this destruction of Jerusalem by Babylon. 
And this is now 70 years later. See, what had happened is, and this will help you understand the story. Babylon was the world power and Jerusalem was over here on a mountaintop and they were, they were in between Egypt and Babylon and this was the trade route in between. So Jerusalem was really key to the trade route between the two major world powers. It was sort of like, you know, the Straits of Gibraltar are for anything going in and out of the Mediterranean Sea. So anyway, here was Jerusalem in this great position of power. And they had sworn their allegiance to Babylon. So they were a vassal state, sort of like Puerto Rico, you know? So Puerto Rico is sort of a vassal state of the United States. Imagine if all of a sudden Puerto Rico says to the United States, nah, we're not, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to join up with, say, France. Can you imagine the struggle that would come if Puerto Rico all of a sudden decided to go be a part of France instead of the United States? Well, this is what it is. Jerusalem is this vassal state of Babylon. And all of a sudden they say, no, nah, we're going to go join Egypt. So Babylon says, no, 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 we don't play that way. So Nebuchadnezzar goes and he totally destroys Jerusalem and says, well, if you mess with me, this is what happens. All right. So now Jerusalem is destroyed. It's now 70 years later, 70 years later. And Daniel, this is core value of ours. All right. So um, this, this past year, before this year began, God really started dealing with me last fall about raising up a Daniel generation. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel, they were all there in Jerusalem and they were all taken away when Jerusalem was destroyed. All of the worship items were taken away, but these boys were about 12 years old, 10 to 12 years old. And they were taken from Jerusalem and carted off to Babylon. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a bunch of others were taken away. And they, when they were taken away, they were given a different name. They were taken away from their family, and they were put in a household by themselves. No mom and dad. These 12-year-old boys were probably castrated. And here they are living their lives in a different land with a different diet, with a different food, with a different people group, a different, uh, told different names. They're impressed by the culture to control them. And yet 70 years later, Daniel, at the time of the evening sacrifice, is still worshiping and praying. Something happened to Daniel before the age of 12 that he was able to stand up against the most powerful people and governments in the world and declare God is sovereign and God is king and was able to stay grounded in his faith for 70 years in another land because what was implanted in his heart before the age of 12. And this church, God started laying on my heart that this body is to be a body where we don't simply have kids church, where we simply don't have youth ministry, but where we raise up Daniels and Shadrachs and Meshachs and Abednego that can swim in the culture that we're in, but know that even though we're in this culture, we are a part of a heavenly culture and we are loyal to our father and we are to raise up a Daniel generation. Now, with this being stated, Part of the reason I want to preach this message today is a warning for us to learn how to be a Daniel generation 
in a culture that's trying to kill us and destroy us. Daniel chapter 5. Y'all got it in your Bibles yet? I hope so. Here we go. King Belshazzar. And that requires an explanation. For centuries, people said that the book of Daniel was not a valid book because, they said, King Belshazzar did not exist. And there were people that were historians that were saying King Belshazzar is a figment of the imagination and it, he was never a king and blah, blah, blah. And then late toward the end of last century, or the century before, they found a, a stone relief that was a pot. I've seen a picture of it. And the stone pot, there were a couple of them that they would use those to write their history on in Babylon. And they were digging through the rubble and they dug up this pot. And you know what it said? Belshazzar, who was the son of Nabonius. Now, Nabonius was the recognized king after Nebuchadnezzar. Remember this 70 years later, Nebuchadnezzar has died. Nabonius has become the king. And Belshazzar, it said on this pot, was his son. Now, it's funny to me that people want to constantly throw the Bible under the bus and say the Bible's not factual or real or whatever. But every time we dig up something new that proves the Bible, people have to eat crow. And I tell you what, I've eaten a little crow in my life. I don't like it. So you know what? It's just not very good. If you want to throw the Bible into question, say the Bible's not true, not real, not valid. Listen, you're going to be proved wrong. It's just a matter of when. It will happen. Because every time we question the Bible, another fact comes up that tells us that the Bible is actually reliable. The scriptures we have are reliable. So King Belshazzar was actually the son of Nabonius. And Nabonius was the king, but Nabonius was not the king in the city of Babylon. He ruled outside the city about 60 miles. So he set his son up to be the ruler of the city of Babylon while he ran the kingdom from afar. Hmm. You'll understand this in a second. King Belshazzar, he gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles. And I've also heard people say, a thousand people, a thousand nobles and their wives to drink wine with them? A thousand, that's a big party. That didn't happen. Well, there have actually been reliefs that have been dug up out of Babylon as well that show one party, 26,000 people were at that party. Now, that's a party. That's almost like the Browns party on Sunday morning. Yeah? So the parties that big do exist. You just got to name them the right thing. So he gave this banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. What, so what was the purpose of this, this party? What were they doing? They were doing what? Drinking wine, drinking wine. And by the way, wine in the Bible is always wine. You can say there are different types of wine, but you're lying. It's wine. So while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders. He gave orders to bring the gold and silver goblets that, is, that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. It wasn't literally, Nebuchadnezzar was not literally his father, it was his grandfather, but ancestor and father are the same in ancient languages. So his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Now hold on for a second. Can I, can I point out something about the book of Daniel? The book of Daniel has a lot of lists in it, okay? Like it says right here, the king, his nobles, his wives and his concubines. Does everybody see that list? It, as we read through this passage, I want you to notice every time he goes off on a list that has to name everybody or everything that's included. 
Because I, I came to realize years ago that the writer of the book of Daniel, all right, for example, all the way back when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow, and they were told, when you bow, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zire, the lither, the blah, the blah, and he lists off all the symbols. And every time he mentions the whole list, every time. Do you know what you call somebody that's got, when you start your list, has to finish the entire list before they move on? You call that OCD. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. This person shows signs of being legitimately able to be called OCD in, yeah, yeah. Do you know what that means to me and you? It means that all of us that want to have these names attached to us that tell us what we can't do, God says, oh yeah, you can't do it. I can use you anyway. It doesn't matter what label the world's put on you and what they tell you you can't do, ADHD, bipolar, whatever it is. No, no, no. God can use you where you are. And he used somebody that had a problem to write a book of the Bible. Come on, wrote a book of the Bible. I think he can use you to live today, right? Y'all following? All right, good. Here we go. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine and praised the gods of, notice the list of gold, of silver, of bronze, of iron, of wood, and stone. Come on, that's funny. Uh, suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. <laughs> Can you, all right, all right. Can you imagine this? You're sitting there, got a glass of wine, whatever it is. And you're red wine, white wine, yellow wine, I don't know. As long as it's not W-H-I-N-E, I'm okay with it. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> anyway, sitting there drinking his glass of wine, and all of a sudden, he looks up and hands start scratching on the wall right here. It'd be sort of odd if a hand appeared and started writing on the wall today, right? So what happened? Um, near the lampstand of the royal palace, and the king watched the hand wrote, and his face turned pale, and he was frightened. His legs became weak, and his knees were knocking. Yeah, yeah. That's an, that's an apt description. If a hand shows up, starts writing on the wall out of nowhere, and everybody's turning and watching a hand with no body attached to it, scribble on the wall, you're going to need, I don't know if you would need a diaper or not. I guess it depends. I'm sorry. I did not, I did not go there. His face turned pale and he was frightened so that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. And the king summoned the enchanters, the astrologers, and the diviners, another list. And he said to the wise men, of Babylon, whoever reads the writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple, will have a gold chain placed on his neck, will be made the second highest ruler since he was king, right? Why third? Because his dad was the ruler, he was in charge of Babylon, and he was going to make the guy right under him that read this. You notice the text supports history, or history supports the text. Third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew even more pale. And his nobles, they were baffled. Enter the smart woman. You know, you ever notice in the Bible how many smart women there are in the Bible that guys don't listen to? I'm just saying, they're everywhere, aren't they? You remember, hold on, let me see, that guy named uh, Nadab? And his wife, Abigail, and he was a fool and she was saving everybody's lives. And then, you know, there's like Pilate's wife who had the dream, don't have anything to do with this righteous man, but he didn't listen to her either. Well, we're about to run into another guy that didn't listen to his wise woman. 
I'm just simply saying. The queen, hearing the voice of the king and his nobles, came to the banquet hall and said, May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look pale. <laughs> Don't you love that? No, I, 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 marriage advice is not what this sermon is about today, right? <laughs> All right. So there is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. By the way, she didn't even know how to say it. But notice she recognizes there's something different about Daniel. When, when you are really different and Jesus is alive in you, you're going to appear different to everybody in the world. They may not say it in religious sounding words, but they're going to know something's different about you. So they said, um, there's a man in your kingdom as the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him as chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Yet another list. Just pointing that out. Are y'all with me? If you're awake, say, hey. hey. All right, here we go. Daniel 5.13. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father brought from uh, the king, brought from Judah? I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. Another list. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means. They could not explain it. Now I've heard that you're able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it Paul Harvey, page two, what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck. And you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Daniel answered the king. You, I, I love this answer. Okay, come on. Men and women of God cannot be bought and sold. The world's going to try to buy you. The world's going to try to pawn you off. Going to try to get you for something. And if you can be bought, you will be bought. But the man or woman of God needs to be above all that. We should not be bought. We should have integrity that exceeds what the world offers us. You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. And I think he said part of that because he knew what he was about to tell them. And he was like, I don't think you're going to like this very much. You can keep your rewards and give them to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Verse 18, your majesty, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Another list. But who gave him? Who gave him? God, the most high God. Who thought he did it for himself? Nebuchadnezzar. Who thinks that they're awesome and powerful by themselves? Everybody in the world. But who is the one that is God who gives people positions of authority? God does. God does. It says right here, the most high God gave your father. Nebuchadnezzar thought he did it. He thought he led this great country and he was awesome. And, but, but come on, even the fact that he was born at a time and a place where he could lead this country and, and where he did have the wisdom to do it and the knowledge and the intelligence to do it. Where did he get the knowledge and the wisdom and the intelligence from? God, who could take it away in a moment? God, that's what the previous chapter was about. So because of his high position, he gave him all the nations and peoples of every language, dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged. And what did he acknowledge? This is the previous chapter. This is a great acknowledgement for us. The most 
high God is sovereign. What does sovereign mean? Who's above the sovereign? No one. Sovereign means the one that has all the authority. The most high God is sovereign over all the kingdoms, except the United States, of course, which is governed by us. Is there an exception clause there? Oh, you mean all the kingdoms of the earth, God is sovereign over them? And he sets over them anyone he wishes. I wish the church would get this. Come on, church, could we just listen for a second? I do encourage you to vote. We live in America. You have a right to have a say in what we do as a country. You should vote. Vote. It's your responsibility. It is your duty. It is an obligation. You should vote. But let's not kid ourselves for one second. Your vote and my vote does not actually raise up or topple people. The Most High God is sovereign over the upcoming election, over the economy. He is sovereign over COVID. He is sovereign over all the things in this earth that bring us pause and worry. And you know what the church of Jesus Christ should do? We should get back to the point where we recognize that God is sovereign and talk to him and be the church of Jesus instead of trying to be the people that fix all the problems. Wouldn't it be great if on Facebook Christians actually act like Christians instead of battling for or against the Democratic Party or Republican Party? Wouldn't it be great if we actually acted like Jesus and recognize he is sovereign and act like that in the way we talk, the way we act, the way we live, the way we vote, and the way we interact with one another? God, would you help your church recognize that you are sovereign and that you raise up who you want and you take down who you want. And we ask you to do that, not only in the White House, but all the way down to our house. And in this house, would you be Lord in the name of Jesus? Amen. So, verse 22, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, what you've done is you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had goblets from his temple brought to you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank from them, had to complete the list. I hope y'all don't mind me pointing this out. All right. You praise the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand another list. Because you've got to get them all. Got to get them all. We can't just have a God that's not listed. And all these gods, by the way, according to 1 Corinthians, all those gods are just simply worshiped to demons because there's only one God. Everything else is worshiped to an inferior being. No matter what you worship other than God, it is something inferior to God. And, and notice this verse. This is one of my favorite verses probably in the Bible. It's stated in a negative way. In a minute, I'm going to restate it in a positive way. It says this, but you did not honor the God. I think we should just... Instead of going negative, let's just go positive. We're supposed to honor the God who holds in his hands your life and all your ways. Honor the God who holds in his hands your life and all his ways. And you know what? He says to Belshazzar, you did not honor God sitting here in his hand. So you know what God's going to do? All right, let's read it. Then the inscription... Then he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. The inscription says, meaning, meaning, tekel, parsin. And here's what the words mean. Number one, meaning. 
This is a Hebrew term that God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. It's about numbers. Meaning is a number thing. Then there's tekel. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Tekel is a, is a weight or a measurement. Perez speaks to the kingdom of the Persians, and your kingdom will be divided among the Medes and Persians. And then he says, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, see, here's what's going on. When, when he's throwing this party, the gates of Babylon and the walls of Babylon were considered to be a fortress that couldn't be uh, broken. And he's throwing this party. We're going to talk about it in a second, but he's throwing this party to say, we're more powerful than the armies that are at our doors. And he's saying that we've always win against the armies that are at our doors. And the armies of the Persians and the Medes were outside the city. And that very night, they broke through the walls. And while he was at his drinking party, Belshazzar was killed. And the government of Babylon was turned over and the city of Babylon was turned over to the Medes and the Persians as is prophesied about in the book of Daniel. So there are three simple takeaways, three ways to party the wrong way. This represents the wrong kind of party. Uh, this is sort of like Jason Aldean's My Kind of Party. There's not much right in that entire song. I thought about using it for the sermon series and then I realized what it said. And then I was like, no. No, no, no. If you're ever in the mood for a one-night rodeo, punch the person in the face that makes that offer to you. <laughs> Sorry, did I say that? I did. Y'all love me anyway. I, I started some new drugs for my heart this week, and I'm just all messed up today, so just blame it on the new prescription drugs I'm on. All right, y'all give me five minutes to go through the three wrong kinds of parties. Y'all ready? Listen fast. Here we go. Number one, Belshazzar trusted in the wrong things. His party was wrong because he was trusting in the wrong things. He trusted in the unconquerable city. Let's read a quote about the city. You ready? Heroditus wrote, uh, by the way, he, he exaggerated. It was less than half the size, but still yet. Still yet, listen to the way he wrote about it. He said Babylon was 14 miles square, so it was half the size of that, about seven miles square. Do you know that's bigger than the city of North Ridgeville? Could you imagine walling in the entire city of North Ridgeville? All the way up to Mills Road, all the way over past Lear, all the way over to Elyria City Limits over here at the curve on Chestnut Ridge. That's a big wall, seven miles square. Anyway. So Babylon is a city 14 miles square with great outer walls, 87 feet thick and 350 high. It wasn't quite that high. They were maybe about 100 feet high, but they were still quite wide that they could run multiple chariots around the top of the wall. A hundred bronze gates in the walls and a system of inner and outer walls with water, uh, water moat between the walls and the city was very secure. 
Broad and strong were the walls so that chariots four abreast could parade around its top. And uh, this Heroditus pictures hundreds of towers at appropriate intervals reaching 100 feet into the air. What, what I'm saying is this, is this was a town that had some great walls and they've done excavations and these walls are amazing. They're massive and they're huge. So what, what was happening is Belshazzar was at dinner having a drunken party, getting drunk. By the way, th this was normal. These parties after dinner, after you ate, they would just drink wine until you passed out. Now listen, if you got the enemy outside of your city and you're getting drunk to passing out, you're not very smart. Anybody, nobody in the room has ever drank too much and woke up in the morning going, oh man. If you drink to passing out, you're going to wake up in the morning with a headache. When you wake up with a headache, you are not ready to go get in a fight. And if you got leftover drunk, fighting drunk people is always easy because they're a second slower. And the only problem is when you hit them, they just don't feel it until tomorrow. And, and here they are, they're having a drinking party with the armies around the doors. And they're ready to come in. And they're saying, hey, we're secure. They had a false narrative. They were painting a false narrative. Now this false narrative, we do it all the time. We have this false narrative. We fail once, so then we call ourselves a failure. Or we succeed once, and then we get all arrogant. I can never fail, I'm the winner all the time. And, or, or you know, I dare not go into the news. But I'm tired, I'm tired of news telling stories that are not true and then trying to give us a false narrative about them. But it's everywhere in our culture, and listen to me, your narrative of what you believe about you and what you believe about the world and what you believe about yourself and you believe about the people around you should be established on truth, not stupid lies. So he trusted in the wrong things. He trusted in, in these walls can never be broken, but yet that very night they made it through. He also, he trusted in his... Uh, his lies that he fed himself, sort of like, well, the story is told to Muhammad Ali. Do y'all remember him? I love, I actually, I hated Muhammad Ali and rope-a-dope. I couldn't stand it. Box somebody. Don't stand there and get the crud beat out of you for 10 inning or rounds. But anyway, Muhammad Ali, you know, he got on an airplane one time and he was the world champion. He gets on the airplane, the, 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 uh, flight attendant comes over to him and says, put your seatbelt on, please. And he says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. If you ever heard Muhammad Ali talk, that's how he talked. Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the flight attendant looked at him and said, Superman don't need no airplane. Put your seatbelt on. <laughs> so what is Belshazzar guilty of? He's guilty of the pride of believing the lies that he feeds himself to make himself feel invincible. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Daniel chapter 5, verse 23 says, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. He didn't honor God who held him and could have done what he wanted with him and did what he wanted with him. Second of all, Belshazzar celebrated the wrong way. Belshazzar had a drinking party. He had a drinking party. He didn't celebrate the right way. 
Now, the way you party in this moment is you humble yourself before God and you pray and you seek his favor and his blessing. And then God can give you the way out. But what did he do? He chose to hide. Now, listen, alcohol and substance abuse happens all over our culture and it happens for one of two reasons. There are two reasons people abuse substances. Number one, you either do it to be something you're not, you know, like the, the guy who never talks to a girl goes to a party and he drinks like four beers. And then all of a sudden he's got liquid courage. He's like walking up to all the girls going, Oh baby, you know, they come on. You've never seen that happen. You've hung out some places. Thank God. You've never hung out at those places. You know, the guy who would never talk to the girl now gets liquid courage and goes up and pretends he's something he's not. Listen, that's, that's why people abuse drugs and alcohol, to pretend they're something they're not. And by the way, the problem is as soon as you come down off your liquid courage, you're back to being you. So it never lasts. And then all you did was you make yourself more of a fool before the people that now think you're a bigger fool than you were before you started. There's nobody in the room that says amen to that. Anybody ever done that other than me? Come on, if you've ever done that, say amen. It's stupid. Can you say it's stupid? By the way, those of you that are younger, listen to me. Listen to me. You don't have to experience everything in life, right? You do not have to slit your wrist with a knife to know that you will die. There are some things you do not have to experience, right? You, you do not have to jump off of a bridge to know that it hurts when you land, right? Am I correct? There are some things you should learn from other people's stupidity. And we're telling you, liquid courage is not smart. The other reason people drink is to hide, use drugs. One is to pretend they're something they're not. The second is to hide from what they are. This is why most alcoholics are alcoholics. You know that, right? The reason most people abuse drugs and alcohol is because they don't like themselves, so they go hide behind something so they won't feel what they really feel. Do you know that how, that's really dumb? That's like me going to the doctor and I have a cancer like growing on my arm and it's getting bigger every day and it's growing. And I go to the doctor and I say, doctor, can you cut the cancer off? He says, no, I'm just gonna give you some drugs so you don't feel it. How many of you would wanna go back to a doctor like that? That would be stupid, am I correct? Yes, so people who abuse drugs and alcohol, the reason they do it is either to pretend they're something they're not or to hide from what they are. And if you're hiding from what you are, it will damage every person in your world. I have a very good buddy growing up. I'd wanna go by his house, he'd say, no, don't come to my house. I'd say, why not? He said, no, just don't come to my house. When I would show up at his house, his dad would be laying in his lazy boy, passed out drunk. Because after work, he would get drunk, come home and pass out on the couch. Never talked to his kids, never interacted with his kids. They were always ashamed of him. He had three kids. Two of them killed themselves. The other was my friend. Listen, if you think it's all right to hide behind drugs and alcohol, you're partying the wrong way. You're, hard, you're partying the wrong way. It will destroy you. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So that's the wrong way. So what's the right way look like? Being filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you said, man, that sounds like a boring party. Well, then you ain't never been to a Holy Ghost party. 
Because the most party you're going to ever experience is the Holy Ghost party because the Holy Ghost party don't stop. stop. Oh, sorry. All right, third, real quick. Belshazzar uh, worshipped the wrong God. He worshipped the wrong God. He was worshipping the, the God that gave him the victory, that gave his grandfather the victory over Jerusalem when he didn't realize that it was God who gave his grandfather the victory over Jerusalem. Denied his own people because of their rebellion and resistance to him. See, he was worshiping the wrong God. He was going and getting the cup saying, oh, I'm really powerful. And he was really worshiping his own ego and his own self. And God says, no, 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 we ain't doing that. We ain't doing that. It's like, you know, the hand writes on the wall and the hand says, meaning, meaning, tekel, parsi, God has numbered the days of your life. You're numbered. You've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. I want to talk about weight on the scales and found wanting for a second. See, what you do is when you live by this world's standards, oh, buddy here, I had to break buddy out because buddy's too cool. I could have got something much less fun, but it's party, and we just had to have buddy, all right? But, you know, this is your, your flesh and this is your spirit, and what, what we do is this, is we think, oh, if I just put in, you know, if I just put in new technology, I'll be happy. Or, let's see, I, I put in money. I need more money. I'll be, I'll be happy. Or how about this one? You, you like my quality uh, bag here from Walmart? Yeah. I need more to drink. This is actually French lemonade, but we're going to pretend it's alcohol, all right? Yeah. I, that'll make me happy. More to drink. That'll make me happy. How about, how about this? Uh, sports. Oh, yeah. If I'm just more athletic or enjoy more sporting events, I'll be happy. More things for my kids to do. More practices to go to. How about this new car? Give me a new car. That'll make me happy. Or... You ready for this? That perfect beach vacation will make me happy. The problem is, is that when the scales are let go, we've filled our flesh up and we've left our spirit empty. And you know what it says? You are weighed on the scales before God and you are found wanting. You're wanting more to make you happy. You're thinking, if I get another vacation, if I get another car, if I get more money, I will be happy and you're found wanting, wanting more. You're always wanting more, 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 more. We're consumers, we want more, and we're still empty because we're weighed on the scales and we're still wanting because we don't need more to fill up our flesh. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us up. Remember, we've been talking about this that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking or food or cars or that kind of stuff, but of righteousness and a right relationship with God with peace with one another and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what God wants to give you. What God wants to give you is not more stuff for you to manage, but more righteousness with him, more right living with him, more peace with one another and more joy in who you are. And that will fill your heart. Remember, that he was weighed on the scales and found wanting. The next time you find yourself in a wanting state, I need more, I want more, I want sex, drugs, rock and roll, I don't care what it is, what you want, I wanna ask yourself a question. Are you feeding this side of your life and letting this side go empty? Are you wanting because you're not feeding your soul? 
Daniel 5.23 says, we should honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. So God holds you, submit to it. And then Daniel 5.21, we need to remember that God most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and sets them under whoever he wishes. Normally I, I do an altar call where I ask you to respond to me. Respond to the Holy Spirit visibly so I can see it. But today, I felt it was appropriate that we do an altar call where you only respond to God and Him alone. And I want you, simply, as they sing this song, I want you to respond to God about the things you're wanting. Are, are your scales out of balance? Are you wanting and wanting and wanting and never satisfied? Maybe it's because you're putting all your energy and your time into your stuff rather than to God. So respond as they sing the song.